Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. Thanks to Scott Warris for filling in for me on Friday. Um, I had was... I had to attend a funeral, a very, very dear friend of my wife, a, a childhood friend. I mean, they go back to like second grade, uh, passed away after a long and courageous battle with cancer. And so it is sort of interesting because we we all, especially nowadays where everybody's on their last nerve and we, we all get so wrapped up in, I don't know what's going on in politics and what's going on in the world. And, and we're all just at each other's throat about everything. And it is sort of interesting to kind of take a step back and recognize that life is short and kind of concentrate on the uh, some of the, the, the bigger things. And so I was kind of away from current events for a day or two, but now back. Speaking of current events, if you follow me on Twitter, matter of fact, I've sent out a couple things over the weekend highlighting some of the stuff we're going to talk about today. But you can follow me. It's at Jeff Wagner. 620. Tomorrow, as we have been telling you about, is our WTMJ 2021. And, and this this program has had various iterations o- over the years. Um, we, we, we For many years, we did it just Charlie Sykes hosted it, then I hosted it. Um, and, and then the last couple years, it's been a, a broader thing, a full day thing during the day. Last year, we did it from the Potawatomi Bingo um, and Potawatomi Casino. This year, of course, because of the pandemic, we, we can't do it live. We can't do it in front of a studio audience. So what we, we've, we can't do it in front of an audience. But what we've done is um, a number of all the hosts have been assigned like different hours and given the opportunity to put together guest lists on things. And in some cases, the interviews are going to be live. In other cases, the interviews are pre-taped, which gives us access to a variety of people. But it, it's, it's really going to be a very, very good show. Um, I sent out two tweets highlighting the, the segments that I am, am doing. One is on public safety at 10 o'clock and one is on entertainment at, at 2 o'clock. Um, the, the 10 o'clock hour, which is public safety, um, I, we're going to be featuring interviews with former Milwaukee Police Chief Alfonso Morales. I, I don't know if he sat down and given a, a lengthy uh, interview since his dismissal. I'm not sure if he has or not, but we sat down and had a very nice conversation. We also, um, I'm going to be presenting an interview I did with uh, Wauwatosa Police Chief Barry Weber and Kenosha Sheriff David Beth, two people who've been kind of the eye of the storm when it comes to protests. So that's at 10 o'clock tomorrow as part of WTMJ 2021. At 2 o'clock tomorrow, my segment involves um, entertainment. And I thought it would be interesting to talk to people who in the entertainment field and find out what happens in a pandemic and how do you cope with that and and what does the future look like? So we're going to be talking to Bob Babish from Summerfest, the the concert promoter and booker. We're going to be talking to Kathleen O'Leary from State Fair. And and also on a more sort of personal sort of level, we'll be talking to noted Milwaukee comedian John McGivern and noted Milwaukee musician Warren Wiegratz, who's the founder of Street Life, for example, the the band, the house band that plays at uh, the Bucks games and things like that, talking to them about, you know, what, what happens happens when all of a sudden in March, boom, everything shuts down. So that's going to be interesting. The entertainment segment is at 2. My public safety segment is at 10. But we, we have great programming all throughout the day that we'll talk more about. But that is tomorrow, WTMJ 2021. 
All right. Walk in this morning. There is a handwritten letter waiting for me on my desk. I want to share this with you because it, it sort of underscores the, the thing that you, people just, again, are, are on their last nerves, and, and they hear what they, they want to hear. It's always interesting to me because if I look at, at the emails and the texts and the letters and all that, you know, I, I feel that there's a huge chunk of the audience that just says, you know, what, what's happened to you? You started out as a conservative, and now you're this screaming lefty. And then I have other people saying, I can't believe you said this about the governor. Or I, I can't believe that you think it's okay that uh, we, we're going to fill a spot on the Supreme Court. Or I can't believe that you just didn't rip President Trump about this. You know, you're, I'm just never listening to you again. You're such an evil conservative. So you, you get this from both side. So here's here's how my day starts. This is a letter handwritten um, on a notebook paper. Uh, I it is, it is unsigned and it's I will read it as it's written. I thought I would write since I can never get on the radio. Why are you always talking negative about President Trump? Don't you know what the left stands for? I would uh, see I would see I would be more worried about what Biden would do to this country, he would tax the middle class, give um, free to people that don't deserve it. It would be basically a communist country. Do you want that to happen to the United States of America? You never talk about how nasty the other side is, Biden, Pelosi, etc. Why is that? Hmm. Oh, yeah. You're just like the fake media. Disgraceful. I swear, group, producing the show today and always, I swear what I would like to do one time is I would like to take the the like four or five people that send me notes like this. You're just this huge lefty. And then I would like to take four or five people who, who send me the other sides. I can't believe you said this about the governor. I can't believe that you said this, uh, that you didn't rip Donald Trump for this. I would like to take five people from each side, and I would like to put them in a room together, and I would love to do a focus group and, and just just wonder, because it is interesting to me that you have people that can hear presumably the same things and just come to such completely and totally different opinions on on this. I You just you hear one thing or you hear the other thing or or whatever. So I guess maybe that's good. So for the people that hear me do nothing but bash Democrats, well, keep listening. And for the people that think that I have gone completely to the left side and all I do is bash Republicans, keep listening as well. Because my guess is over the course of the next two hours and 45 minutes, there will be something that appeals to all of you. When we come back, let's talk about the last five days in Wauwatosa. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This week's sponsor for the Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by our friends at Great Midwest Bank, is Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Discover the Pella difference at PellaWI.com. All right. Oh, by the way, um, one another quick note. Again, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 number of different things. But one of the things I sent out this morning, very, very interesting. Um, after... You know, earlier on this summer, you had what I think could fairly be described as riots in, in Dane County. Lots of burning, lots of destruction. Not anything like happened in Kenosha, but still very, very bad. And we didn't hear a lot about people being arrested. That was one of the ongoing frustrations. Uh, Dane County authorities have, at least thus far, I think, arrested and charged over 40 people with felonies 
um, in connection with looting and vandalism, etc. Um, and, and interestingly enough, the the newspapers out there have have started to put together a list tracking them. Now, it's one thing to be charged. And here's the interesting parlor game. It's another thing to figure out how are these cases going to be disposed of. But if you want to see a list, including many, many photographs of the people behind some of the rioting in Dane County earlier this year. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got a link to the story and it shows in general the mug shots of a lot of different people and what they are accused of doing. I think it's great because I think, first of all, there is value to holding people publicly accountable for bad behavior. And by doing something like this, by calling them out, by showing their mug shots, etc., I think that it's it's fair and reasonable to do it. It's also, I think, an interesting scorecard because, again, now we have a milestone to figure out, okay, what, what happens to the people who are charged with extortion in connection with a restaurant? What happens to the people who are charged with arson? What happens with the people who are charged in connection with the assault on Democratic State Senator Tim Carpenter? What, what happens to all those people? And a starting point is knowing who those people are in the first place. So if you want to check out a list of approximately 40 people thus far that have been charged with felonies. Now, I would agree that there's probably a lot more people out there who ultimately deserve to be charged with felonies, but, you know, 40 is a start. You can follow me on Twitter. Again, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got a link to a story that includes, again, the mugshots and the descriptions of what individuals are charged with, and we will use this as a blueprint moving on to figure out what happens to to all these, these people. And I understand some people are being cynics and saying, well, it's Dane County. Yeah, they're going to be charged but all it's going to be is a slap on the wrist. Hope not, but now at least we have a record of, of who is out there. All right, let us talk about Wauwatosa. In the middle of the week, last week, the district attorney in Milwaukee County, John Chisholm, announced to the surprise of no one that Officer Joseph Mensa was not going to be charged criminally in connection with the shooting of 17-year-old Alvin Coe at Mayfair uh, Alvin Cole at Mayfair last February. And I say to the surprise of nobody because the, the facts, in essence, really aren't that controverted. I mean, what, what happened is the police arrive on the scene. The 17-year-old is in possession of a firearm which he brandishes and refuses, at least according to various witnesses, refuses to drop it. He ends up getting shot. It, it's a tragedy all around. But the, the reality is, if you have somebody who's in possession of a firearm and confronts police with it, bad things are going to happen. And nobody, I think, seriously thought that the officer was going to be charged criminally in connection with this. And I think the DA concluded, appropriately so, that had he charged people, there was no way you were going to be able to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that this was not a legitimate exercise of self-defense. It, it, that's a separate question from whether or not Officer Mensa should stay on the police department, etc. It has to do with the criminal proceedings. On top of so, going into this, it, it wasn't necessarily a surprise, and I think most people objectively recognize that there would not be charges. The other element that's present in this case that is not present in a lot of the high-profile cases lately is that there is not a racial divide. Officer Mensa is black. The victim was black in this case. The person, the young man who was shot was black. So this, this doesn't 
play into that narrative of you've got white police officers who are indiscriminately killing black people on the street. So it's it's a different sort of thing. There have been protests over the course of the last several months in connection with this, but they have been relatively small. And Wauwatosa officials pretty much took a policy of, of not engaging And again, we weren't talking about hundreds and hundreds of people. We were talking about dozens of people who were somewhat disruptive. But again, Wauwatosa police and Wauwatosa authorities said, look, let's not confront this. And that sort of changed a couple months ago when you had various protesters who arrived at the former home of uh, Officer Mensa's girlfriend, and they were there to throw toilet paper, and somebody took a shotgun and ultimately fired a shotgun blast through the kitchen door. At that point in time, I, I think Wauwatosa authorities recognized that enough is enough, and they made it very, very clear that the, the protesters were going to be, as far as criminal behavior, they were going to be on a, a short leash. In addition, one of the lessons... As a matter of fact, I I talk about this with both Chief Weber and with uh, Sheriff Beth from Kenosha. One of the lessons I think authorities have learned after what happened in Kenosha is that you cannot allow yourself to be, you you can't allow yourself to be outnumbered by the protesters. You, You have to anticipate things. And given the fact that everybody knew that there was going to be a decision coming down, what you saw is you saw authorities, state level, and the local level, deciding that, look, we were not going to allow ourselves to be outmanned. We're not going to allow ourselves to be overwhelmed. So once the decision came down in Wauwatosa that there weren't going to be charges, the authorities quickly said, number one, okay, we're going to impose a curfew, but what we're going to do is we're going to enforce that curfew. And we are not going to, we're not going to tolerate lawlessness. We're not going to tolerate people throwing frozen water bottles or bricks at police. We're not going to tolerate letting people light dumpsters on fire. We're not going to tolerate vandalism like window breaking, etc. And we are going to have a, a sufficient law enforcement force. Local police officers from Wauwatosa, officers from the surrounding area, backed up and supported by the National Guard. And what's happened over the course of the last five nights is, with the exception of some random vandalism, that I'm certainly not condoning, particularly that first night you had a series of windows that were broken, you had one gas station that was looted. But as a general rule, authorities have been very, very aggressive. Um, They've made a series of arrests for people who violated curfew, They have not tolerated people throwing bricks or vandalizing residences. And I understand there's been a little bit of it. But, you know, compared to Madison, compared to Kenosha, compared to Minneapolis, compared to Portland, compared to a lot of the other areas where there's been, you know, a great deal of unrest and a great deal of destruction, that did not happen in Wauwatosa. And I reason I believe it did not happen was, again, the, the facts of this case are a little bit different than the facts of others. But most importantly, authorities drew a line in the sand, and they did not let, for the most part, protesters overcome this. We're not going to let people storm into Mayfair. We're going to block that off. We're not going to let people go on rampages up and down North Avenue breaking windows. And again, I understand there was a little bit of vandalism, but the 
the bigger point is they weren't going to tolerate it. Now, over the course of the last couple of days, there have been some people who've been complaining about that. Oh, they've turned they've turned the streets of Wauwatosa into an armed camp. Oh, this is an overreaction. Oh, they shouldn't have the National Guard here. Oh, they shouldn't have police with riot gear. Oh, they shouldn't be vigorously enforcing this curfew. My response is nuts to that. I think the authorities in Wauwatosa have done an absolutely amazing job of keeping order. And to me, if you're going to impose a curfew, which they did over the weekend, the curfew is now lifted. If you're going to impose a curfew, you have to enforce it. And if that means saying, okay, the curfew was 45 minutes ago, you need to disperse and go home, and people decide that they're not going to disperse and go home and continue to do whatever, you've got to be willing to go in and make arrests. I give authorities, I, I give them an A for how they have handled the last five days. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Grade the response of authorities in Wauwatosa. Again, it hasn't been perfect. I understand that some windows were broken and things like that. But as a general rule, I, I think the authorities have handled this well, and I think the majority of protesters have handled the situation well. Okay, it's the curfew's up. They're telling us to disperse. I think people have dispersed, and it's been very, very clear that authorities were not going to tolerate some of the behavior that led to some of the problems in other places. I give authorities an A. How do you grade them? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And by the way, this isn't a gentleman's A. I, I give I give the Wauwatosa authorities, law enforcement in general, I give everybody responsible for handling potential um, issues in connection with the protests, I give them an A. Let's talk to Greg in Waukesha. Greg, you're on WTMJ. Um, I give them an A as well uh, from, a, a, I guess, a... a Ground level, uh, uh, we have a facility that I that I help uh, that I'm a, a leader of. Uh, that's literally a half a block away from uh, from City Hall, and uh, the police were using uh, uh, it as a, a staging area to um, to get ready and so forth. And um, uh, I just got to tell you, I've I, I, I talked to them, offered them water, offered them our facility to, to use the facilities. And um, and what a group of – they were so nice. I cannot believe how professional they are. Right. And then literally mo- moments later, they, you know, literally 10 minutes later, they're walking down and, you know, they could have been in, 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 in danger. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just uh, – um, and then, you know, you could hear the protests from, a, from half a block away and – um, everything, uh, yeah. everybody yeah. protested and so forth. And then everything, uh, they, they gave them, uh, an hour. I, I could overhear them to let them protest. And then right. after the curfew, they, they started saying you need to disperse. And that's what happened. Right. No, thank you. And see, and that, and that's the way, again, that, that's the way it, it should be. And I think that's one of the lessons that law enforcement learned from Kenosha. And I think moving forward that this, this is going to be the lesson plan. Now, sometimes you, you don't know when stuff is going to happen, but I, I think they really learned in Wauwatosa and they handled it well. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Friday night, 
it was one of the most <laughs> amazing sort of examples of a meltdown of a public body that you will see anytime soon. The Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission is is a dumpster fire. It is a hot mess. Use whatever phrase you want. It is correct. This is the, the dysfunctional Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission that, that can't get along with their executive director, who's presumably on the way out till they can find somebody to replace her. Um, this is the Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission that took in my opinion, the best Milwaukee police chief that the city has had in decades and just unceremoniously dumped him in inviting a lawsuit and without any real good alternative. Um, they, they have now, and matter of fact, you know, uh, tomorrow during WTMJ 2021, you can hear an interview I did last week with uh, former Milwaukee police chief Alfonso Morales. That'll be in the 10 o'clock hour of the program. But re- regardless, so the Fire and Police Commission is now in this situation where they have they are trying to find a new police chief they've announced six candidates only one who is internal which tells you i, I think a lot it tells you that some qualified people just didn't want anything to do with it and and typically nowadays you you try to find somebody who knows the community but the fire and police commission came out with a list of six candidates only one who is internal but the meeting well here's the headline in the journal sentinel this is the fire and police commission the headline dictator Chaos, out of order. Fire and Police Commission devolves, makes no decisions Friday night. The Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission special Friday evening meeting erupted in chaos almost from the moment it began. And this isn't chaos because you had outside parties coming in and disturbing and disrupting it. This is chaos involving members of the Fire and Police Commission and their executive director. Um, erupted in chaos almost from the moment it began, and not a thing was accomplished after Chairman Nelson Solar shut it down after 24 minutes of commissioners and the executive director arguing among themselves. It's just you couldn't you can't make this type of stuff up. It sounds like a Saturday Night Live skit, but it played out in real time in Milwaukee on Friday. The hastily arranged meeting was arranged without the input of Solar or Vice Chair Angela McKenzie to possibly change the selection process for the city's next police chief. But Solar exercised his power as chairman to block that discussion until Tuesday, saying the public deserved time to weigh in on the matter. On top of that, the meeting was the subject of a wild rumor that the commission, aided by its executive director, Griselda Aldretti, would attempt to add a seventh candidate to its list of police chief finalists. The rumor was acknowledged immediately at Friday's meeting by Aldretti. She denied ever having such intentions, reminded the public that she holds no power over the commission's decisions. She was repeatedly interrupted by Solar, who had asked Aldretti to read the agenda items before opening the floor for comment. Aldretti refused to cut her remarks short and continued on. (laughs) So you've got the executive director who is in this verbal war with the chairman of the Fire and Police Commission. I will tell you something. If you watched if you watched about a bunch of third graders arguing with each other, my guess is they would accomplish more than the Fire and Police Commission and their executive director did. You're out of order, Solar said. I'm not, Aldretti replied before continuing her remarks. From there, Solar jostled with other commissioners, mainly Ann Wilson and Raymond Rabakowski, who wanted to proceed with the meeting as scheduled. Rabakowski called Solar a dictator. <laughs> After nearly a half hour of going back and forth, Commissioner Everett Cocroft motioned to adjourn the meeting and end the 
the chaos. It was seconded and ended soon after. And, you know, it goes on and on and on. But it's just, I mean, I tell you, it's just like this free-for-all. And these are the people that are going to be responsible for figuring out who is going to replace former police chief Alfonso Morales. I mean, seriously, does that give you any confidence if you are a taxpayer in the city of Milwaukee that they know at all what they are doing? Huh. Not necessarily. All right, let us switch gears. We we discussed this when it was a possibility when it was first announced in the middle of last week. It is now a reality. The second presidential debate between Joe Biden and Donald Trump has been canceled. There were scheduled to be three debates. We all know the first one a couple weeks ago. Tomorrow night, there was scheduled to be a town hall presidential debate. Because of the ongoing pandemic, because of President Trump's positive diagnosis of COVID-19, the um, Committee on Presidential Debates, the Commission on Presidential Debates, announced that they were going to go ahead with the process, but it would be virtual. President Trump would be in one location. Joe Biden would be in the other. The, um, the, the questioners, the town hall questioners would be in Miami. It would be virtual. President Trump said he didn't want to do a, a virtual. He would not do this virtually. And as a result, um, he said he wouldn't participate if it was virtual. The commission said that's how it has to be. And so now now it's off. It, it is not going to occur. There will be one more in-person debate on October 22nd. But this will be the first time since, I believe, 1988 that there won't be a, a town hall debate. All right. The conventional wisdom is that President Trump is behind. The conventional wisdom is that President Trump needs something to flip the script, to, to change the dynamics. I, I don't know exactly what that's going to be, but it would seem to me that debates are probably his, his last best chance if you go along with that premise that he is behind. And by refusing to go virtual, President Trump has deprived himself of one of those two opportunities for a meeting. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think... I just on on so many different levels, I, I understand why virtual is a poor alternative to an in-person debate. I, I agree with that. But given where I believe this race is, does it make any sense for you that President Trump decided to pass on the virtual debate? To me, it's just it is a missed opportunity, and it is almost political malpractice. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Uh, Joe Biden believes that he is ahead. The polls, and again, people have issues with the polls, but that's fine. The polls seem to show that he is ahead. And Joe Biden, the big winner of that decision not to have a debate um Tomorrow, I, I think, is Joe Biden because he, he gets to sit on, on his lead. Makes no sense to me at all. 855-616-1620. Did President Trump do the right thing by insisting on virtual? And now he ends up with nothing. We discuss. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, regarding President Trump not wanting to debate virtually with Joe Biden, already there are emails showing what supposedly is a wire that Joe Biden wore in the last debate. One of the concerns about Mr. Biden is his mental acuity. If there is a virtual debate, there is no way to ensure that Joe Biden is answering questions on his own. Well, okay, if if that was the concern. Then you, you come out and say it. But candidly, to me, that's that's a straw man, because what, what could happen 
is for, for people who are worried about that, you could easily say, fine, here, here's the deal. <clears throat> we're going to do a virtual debate, and what we're going to do is representatives from the opposing campaign get to have two or three observers on, on hand. So Trump gets to have observers at the Biden, wherever the Biden studio would be. Biden gets to have observers at the Trump studio. So you, you can see if if somebody's wired up and, and has, you know, I, I, again, an earpiece in, which I, I I think, you know, some of that is kind of like like going through the looking glass. But regardless, th- there are controls you could put in to make sure that doesn't happen. But again, going back to my larger point here, if you accept the premise that President Trump is behind, and, and I think it's it's tough to argue with that, when you pass up the opportunity to do a debate, you are you are leaving that opportunity. You're, you're, you're giving up an, an opportunity of exposure. Now, it might be that you decide that this, this town hall debate is going to be stacked and it's not going to be undecided voters and it's going to be unfair. And, and maybe there is an element to that, but it seems to me you've got to take a chance. Uh, Jeff, debate. Yeah, like I believe the polls, what a joke. President Trump did absolutely the correct thing. Biden would be in a room with a teleprompter and people right in his ear telling him how to answer every question question well again there are there are ways that you could avoid that particular issue if if you're afraid of it but i I think the truth of the matter is that that that's again that that's almost like being paranoid with this um jeff trump needs to debate in order to reach out to the democrats and convince them to vote for him it's a mistake for him um, and to not follow through with the debates. I, I agree with that. Jeff, Trump is a dictator. A lot of that word being thrown around. He seems to think he can do what he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. I am a conservative voter, but I highly doubt that I'm voting for him, nor will I vote for Biden. He seems to, um, all right, then it goes on. But I, again, I, I think this is it. Jeff, I don't think having a voice in his ear for a debate is a bad thing, period. The presidency is based on not a decision by made by one, but input of others. I, I'm, just, I'm just not even going down this rabbit hole of, gee, is, is he wearing you know, earpieces and things like that. My point is, for people who are concerned with this, there are ways that you could put in to make sure that that doesn't happen. And again, I, if, if you think Trump is ahead, and you think that he doesn't have to do anything to change the script, then, then fine. You, know, you don't need to participate in a debate. I'm telling you, though, I think objectively speaking, three weeks before the election, this was a missed opportunity for the president. And the only winner from the debate being canceled was Joe Biden. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I have been watching off, off and on this morning the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee hearings involving Amy Coney Barrett, ACB, and her nomination to be the next justice on the Supreme Court. I, you know, I, I have to admit, it was kind of tough to go, go through the first hour or two because what, what you have is you have particularly the Democrats who they're upset. I get it. They, they don't they don't want this spot filled despite the fact that President Trump is still the president until January, regardless of what happens in the election in November, and the fact that the Republicans control the Senate. So they don't like the idea that it's going to be filled. I, I get all that, but it, it was kind of painful listening to one of these speeches after one speech after another, you know, attacking the president. This is this is all about the Affordable Care Act or or whatever. I, I say that because 
one of the real interesting things here is, is Amy Coney Barrett is the real thing. There, there's, you know, everything you read about her, you, you know, you, you understand that, that this is, this woman is just brilliant. You know, number one in her law school class at, at Notre Dame, a, a professor at the age of 30, um, generally, it just incredibly, incredibly well-respected. Now, you, you might disagree with her judicial philosophy, and, and that's fine. But as far as, as trying to look at somebody, are they qualified for the court? And interestingly, the American Bar Association, which is certainly – never been accused of being a conservative organization, they came out and, and rated her extremely well qualified, their, their highest rating, because you, you look at, at her career and, and she checks all the boxes. I mean, there's just no question about it. I also think, candidly, you know, she would, I believe, be the, the only justice on the court who didn't come from one of the Ivy League schools. Actually, I, I think having come from, like, Notre Dame in, in the Midwest would, would be sort of a, a good contrast to, you know, you have to go to Harvard Law School or you have to go to Yale Law School or something like that. But but the truth of the matter is, it, watch the hearings over the next couple of days because it, it's one thing if people want to complain about the process, you know, oh, we, we shouldn't be doing this, et cetera, et cetera. It, it's another thing if people want to try to take her on over on her credentials. And I, I will just say this. This is one, if any of the Democrats on the committee want to try to get into the, the legal reasoning and things like that with her, I, I think it's going to, it's going to go badly for them. Because like I say, she's, she's the real, she's the real deal. Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the left was the real deal as well. And sometimes you just, you, you got to appreciate the real deal. And Ann Comey Barrett is certain, and uh, Amy Coney Barrett is, is certainly the, the real deal when it comes to that. The other interesting thing is going to be whether or not she is attacked because of, of her faith. I mean, I think, you know, it, it's clear she is a devout Catholic. And the question is going to be, you know, are you going to try to you know play the religion card against her? I think if that happens, it's going to break very badly for people trying to do it. Not unlike it broke badly year and a half ago in the Wisconsin Supreme Court election where you, you had people that tried to use now Justice Brian Hagedorn's religion against him. And I think it created just a huge backlash. But once again, interesting to watch these hearings. But for what it's worth, and Amy Coney Barrett, no question about it, ju- just brilliant. And maybe as soon as she is confirmed, she might be the, the smartest member of the Supreme Court, right or left, because I'm um, just absolutely, absolutely brilliant. And like I say, she checks a lot of the boxes. All right. Sent this tweet out over the weekend. It was a story. The Business Journal had it. Channel 4 had it. The Milwaukee streetcar, the streetcar, the trolley, call it whatever you want. Um, here's here's the deal that Milwaukee finds itself in. The hop is is broke, and the hop is on the verge of, in order to continue to have it operating, the hop is, well, now going to, if the trend continues, force the city to take money from other places in order to continue to operate the hop. Okay, here here's the deal. Hearing on Friday. Spot Scott Spiker and Michael Murphy, they're two aldermans, aldermen, they said at a city budget hearing Friday that the funds are running out in the city's parking fund, which pays for the free streetcar service. So keep in mind, when the streetcar was originally proposed – 
the idea was going to be it's going to be it's you're going to pay for it you're going to and it's going to be if not self-sufficient it's going to you know the the things that people are going to pay is going to underwrite what the costs are well all right we didn't we never charged for it never charged at all so it's been free the reason it is free is streetcar proponents know that if you charged for it, the ridership would plummet. You know, the ridership has, depending on the month, if, if you want to look at it in the light most favorable to the streetcar, the ridership has exceeded some of the projections that they had. But the projections all assume people were going to pay. All right, so it's been free. So, yeah, oh, look, look, it's doing better than we predicted. Well, yes and no. Yes, there's more people on it, but, you know, it, the projections all assumed it was going to pay. So here's the deal. Um, the general parking fund doesn't have the dough to pay for it because, again, we're, we're in the middle of a pandemic, so several forms of uh, parking enforcement have been suspended. Um, pe- fewer people are going downtown. You know, it's not through anybody's fault, but the parking fund doesn't have anywhere near near enough revenue to continue to operate the hop. Well, it gets worse. The um, Public Works Commissioner is saying, well, here, here's the problem. We can't suspend the hop. We have to, even though there's nobody riding it, and even though we don't have the money to pay for it without going and cannibalizing other city services, we have to we have to keep running the hop because we made a deal with the federal government. You know, we used federal money to build the, the service, and the deal was... As part of using the federal money, the deal was we would continue to to operate it. So we, this it's a it's a nasty trick box that the city is in. The city has to continue to run the hop unless they can get some sort of federal waiver letting them shut it down. But they don't have the money to do it. So the only way that you can continue is, uh, again, to figure out some revenue source, which means maybe having to tap into general revenue. It's just a mess. I mean, my note was, when I sent this out on Twitter, I've got a link to the story. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. No ridership, no money to continue to operate the streetcar, and a federal requirement that the trolley keeps running regardless. What a mess. Who could have seen it coming, though? Oh, wait, just about everyone. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Where do we go from here? Is it time, once and for all, to say that, as a starting point, we have to start charging for people to ride on the hop? I mean, now I I understand. It's the worst time. It's the worst time ever to start charging to ride on the streetcar. Why? Well, fewer people are using, fewer people are going downtown, fewer people are riding the streetcar to begin with. It is the pandemic. But at the same time, unless they can figure out ways to get money in, if it is in fact true that they have to keep running the thing, you know, the, the only other alternative is to start dipping into other revenue sources. And, you know, you've been hearing on our news all day, correctly speaking, you know, the mayor is talking about what a nightmare this, this budget process is. We're looking at dropping 120 police officers because they don't have the money to pay for the police officers. So how can the city try to underwrite the cost of the hop? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I think at the very least... 
the thing that you have to start doing now is you have to say, okay, we're going to have to start charging it, and let's let's see if people are willing. Now, granted, there's not as many people that are using the service, and some of that's because of the service, and some of it's just because of the pandemic. So I, I understand all that, but. But maybe now the only alternative that you have is to say, okay, we're going to start charging and we're going to start to see if we can bring in any sort of money at all. And if it turns out that people aren't willing to pay to ride the thing, well, okay, maybe that's an indicator as to whether you should be expanding it moving forward. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You know, it, it's a mess. And in fairness to the streetcar, it's not all the fault of the streetcar. I mean, the pandemic has upset all sorts of things. But as a practical matter, I mean, can the city underwrite the cost? And again, it's one thing to say, all right, we're depending on parking tickets and that's going to help subsidize it. If that's dried up, as these aldermen are saying, seems to me you've got no choice but to say, okay, we're going to start charging for this and let's see if we can bring more money in. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, if, if the city of Milwaukee didn't have enough of a of a budget mess, uh, you, you've got the, the, the streetcar. The, the streetcar ridership is way, way, way down, in part because of, of the pandemic. It's not paying for itself. It's not coming close to paying for itself. So what happens is now they're at the point where the general parking revenue, the, the parking enforcement stuff, that's dried up. They don't have the money to pay for this. But yet, because they took federal money to help build this, they've got to keep it running. So you've got a service that you can't afford to pay for, that very few people are riding, but yet you have to continue operating it. I mean, you, you just, it is the complete and total perfect storm of, of problems. I think a lot of this was foreseeable. Uh, a couple of the aldermen are saying, oh, what, what can we do here? Um, look at the type of cuts that we're talking about making in the city budget. And you really have to seriously, this is a quotation, look at the option of suspending the streetcar because you don't have the money. Well, the problem is they might not be able to legally do that because then they might be on the hook to the federal government. What what a mess. I think as a starting point, you got to start charging to see if you can get any money in at all to at least help keep the thing running. Ron in Sheboygan. Ron, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for having me on. I Hi, just Ron. had some concerns. The first one is um, looking back to when the mayor first proposed to hop and they built it. Didn't Pottawatomie get involved? Weren't they going to cover the first year's revenue or something? Yeah, they did. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been free. Right. Yeah, it's been free. It's been free for a while. Right. Oh. Okay, my second concern is when you propose a project like that of that financial um, amount, wouldn't you have the clairvoyance to look ahead and say, well, when Potawatomi is done, how are we going to pay for this? I, you know, yes, <laughs> you, you, you would, you would think that that was it. You know, how, how is this going to be paid for? You know, on, on top of that, Ron, as I was saying earlier, and I, I stand willing to be corrected, but a lot of the ridership projections were based on on people paying. And and um, I think what happened is early on they realized that if we start charging, you know, nowhere we're not going to get anywhere close to these people running if we actually uh, the people riding it if we have to start paying. But yes, you're, you're right. You would have thought that there would have been a a plan in place to figure out how we're going to keep this thing operating because now if you've got to start finding revenue from other sources, what what are we going to do? F- you know, fire ten cops to keep the hop running? Really? <laughs> Who thinks that's a good idea? Right. 
Now, I got a question. Okay. Sure. Um, why don't you start out with a nominal fee, like maybe a dollar? Yeah, that's you know, it. Just people used to it. The reason I'm saying this is at Bay Beach and Green Bay, the mayor uh, purchased a roller coaster. I don't know if you're aware of this from Memphis. It was Elvis's roller coaster that he rode on. And he proposed, it was, I guess it was cost him a million dollars. And he proposed that they charge a dollar. Mm-hmm. And they paid, they paid for it, like in five years, because he kept the fee down. Well, you, you know, know, if they charge five dollars again on a roller coaster, they, people would have shied away, especially when you have kids. Right. Well, so, I, no, I'm Ron. I'm with. By the way, I mean, I, I think the plan all all along was, I, I think, to charge a dollar a ride, I, and that's, I mean, put in the fare boxes, and, and then let's charge, and let's let's see. To me, that would also give a much better indication of what the what the demand really is for this. Look, and I, I I'm getting all these texts from people who say, hey, we drive by the hop, and we're we're down there all the time, and you know. We never see more than than one or two or three people on the hop, and and again, right now it, it's tough. I, th- there were certainly times I think that where where people actually you know were using were their events downtown. So in some respects, I want to be fair here. Yes, I do want to be fair here. In some respects, the fact that you have the pandemic that has kicked in, the fact that very, very few people are downtown, the fact that everything that, you know, would be downtown has been canceled for lar- in, in large measure, the fact that the restaurants are closed, the fact that there's not offices that are open anymore, so you don't have large numbers of people even in the area, you don't have a critical mass that's there. In some respects, that's not necessarily the fault of the hop, but it is the reality that people face. And I, I think as a starting point, you know, you, I, I mean, I'm just trying to imagine what the general response is going to be among taxpayers if you find out now that you're going to have to dip into other revenue sources and take money from other places to keep the hop running. The problem is I don't have a good answer because unless the federal government agrees to let it be shut down, and I don't know that they're close to doing that, they agreed to allow service cuts, but they haven't agreed to allow it to be shut down. Unless you agree to allow it to shut down, you, you've got to come up with the dough to continue to operate it. And I don't think anybody has a good idea as to where that's going to come from. Like I say, you know, if you want to figure out a hot mess and you want to see the definition of a hot mess, just look that up in the dictionary and you're going to see a picture of the streetcar. You're listening to Jack Wagner on WTMJ. 2020 has been a year of incredible uncertainty. What can we possibly expect in the year ahead? Well, we'll explore that question in a day-long forum designed to tackle the biggest issues that face us, the topics that matter the most to you. Tune in tomorrow from 9 to 6 for WTMJ 2021. Hear from people like Governor Tony Evers, Senators Ron Johnson and Tammy Baldwin, former Milwaukee Police Chief Alfonso Morales, and many more. For more information, text 2021. That's 2021. Text 2021. That's 2021. What else would people think it was? They think they'd like spell out the words? No, just 2021 to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. That's 2021, 2021 to 855-616-1620, and we'll send you all the information. It's WTMJ 2021, presented by our friends at Annex Wealth Management and Professional Construction, Inc. All right. As long as we're talking about throwing money around like drunken sailors, oh, no, no, that would be an insult to drunken sailors. Let's talk about a, another another story. Now, let me kind of back into this. One of, even before the pandemic, there was a significant question 
as to whether or not the city of Milwaukee needed a greatly expanded convention center. Now, for the last, I don't know how long, the the thinking on the downtown convention center, at least some people have said, well, the reason we're missing out on all these big conventions is because it's too small. It was built too small. We don't have enough space to attract the kind of conventions that we want. And so we're losing out to places like Indianapolis, et cetera, et cetera. All right, because you're in, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and look, I I grew up here. I love Milwaukee, but let's face it, you know, you're you're not, you know, Milwaukee isn't going to be able to compete with Las Vegas or Orlando or things like that for certain types of conventions. So the the idea was, okay, we're we're the question was, if we spent a lot of money, upgraded and substantially enlarged the convention center, would people come? Would we be able to get a different type of convention? Would we be able to get more? I think it was always wishful thinking. But what has happened since March? We've had this thing called the pandemic. And the pandemic has completely and totally changed the way businesses operate. Maybe not your business, but many, many businesses. If you go downtown nowadays, downtown Milwaukee, downtown Chicago, downtown New York City, they are ghost towns. And it is because businesses have decided what we're going to do is we're going to have people work remotely. That, that's, the, that's the idea. We don't want people together in these spaces. And, and what's happening is it's just crippling restaurants and, and shops that exist in, like, the downtown area to support the, the workforce, the people that come home and are going out or they go to work downtown, and then they're out and about during the day, and they stop and they shop at people at places. That, that's been crippled. And if you look forward in, into the, you know, in your crystal ball, what you see is, there's not necessarily going to be an end to that because lots of companies are figuring out, you know, we have been forced to go to this, this remote working. And what we're finding is our employees like it. Um, it. It helps us. It helps them reduce costs because they don't have the commuting costs, etc. It helps us reduce costs. And as a result, what you're seeing is more and more employers are like taking a step back and saying, hey, do we ever do we need three floors on a high rise downtown office building? Or, or maybe can we get by with one floor once our, our lease is up so that that's the future? Companies are adapting. One of the things that's happening, and it's. I don't think it's going to change for a long, long time. Is that business travel? Business travel is just it, it's ending, because what's happening nowadays? Lots of companies are again they're 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 telecommuting. You're doing stuff by Zoom things, and I understand that there's always going to be you know some sort of projects, some sort of jobs where there's no excuse for getting on an airplane and flying to Boston and meeting face to face with, you know, whoever it is that you're you're trying to sell something with or working on a project. But what companies are finding is, you know, we we don't have to do that. We don't have to have as many road warriors and and we can save. That's killing the airlines right now cuz business travel has dried up to a, a trickle and most of the airlines aren't sure when it's coming back. Well, if business travel has dried up to a trickle. You know what's really non-existent nowadays? And and that's the big conventions. Now, looking into the the immediate future, right? Imagine we've got the pandemic going on. Can you imagine 
you know, companies saying, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, I don't know, fly in thousands of people, or we're going to put on a convention and we're going to have people fly in from all over the country. Well, you know, that business, in, in, unfortunately, I, I think it is substantially dried up. And, and I think you're seeing a lot of these towns that, that host conventions, at least for the foreseeable future, understand that, boy, I, I tell you, it's it's really a buyer's market out there because if we can find somebody that wants to do a convention, um, we're going to have to give them just you know pretty much anything they want because nobody is doing conventions anymore and nobody's flying places to do it. And we just don't have the money given everything else that's going on. We've asked our employees to take 20% across the board pay cuts so we're, we're going to pay to you know go to a convention it, it's just it's not happening and i think moving forward the, the world is going to be forever changed i don't think you're going to see these mass conventions like we did prior to the pandemic all right so with that lead in here's the deal the convention center the wisconsin center district with not a lot of fanfare last week announced that they were going to go ahead $420 million in expanding the convention center. They're going to be doing bonding um, to to do it. The expanded convention center would double, by March 2024, the convention space available, $420 million in bonding. Um, Here is the deal. Of that $420 million, if the thing goes belly up and does not work, the taxpayers have guaranteed $300 million of that. $300 million of it. Now, the, the folks down at the convention center, they say, look, we, we, we believe there's going to be a huge resurgence. We believe that the convention business is going to full, this is the quotation in the paper today, the convention business is projected to fully recover by 2023. All right, all right, we are, we are now in October of 2020, 2021, 2022. The convention business is projected to fully recover by 2023. Who projects the convention business to recover by 2023? With all due respect, I'm not sure the convention business is ever going to recover, certainly not in the next couple years. And here in Milwaukee, we are doubling the size of our convention center, $420 million. But again, $300 million the taxpayers have guaranteed. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In, in in a perfect world, I think this would be a risky decision. In a perfect world, in a pandemic world, with no real idea of what the future of the convention business is going to look like in the next couple of years, I think this is just nothing short of crazy. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The convention business fully recovered. Within the next two years? Really? Is there anybody that believes that? 855-616-1620. What do you think about the idea of doubling the convention space in downtown Milwaukee with the idea that the taxpayers may be on the hook for some of this? To me, it's just nuts. We discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
855-616-1620. Like I say, I, I think expanding the convention center in the best of times was an extremely risky operation and proposition. Given that we are in the middle of a pandemic, which I believe, for better or worse, ha- has permanently changed how conventions will operate, what businesses will do, etc. To to take $420 million, $300 million of which is going to be guaranteed by the taxpayers, and put it into doubling the size of the Milwaukee Convention Center, a convention center that had trouble finding guests and visitors and events, Democratic National Convention notwithstanding, um, to, to do that to spend that money now with the possible exception of the fact that interest is dirt cheap. So, I mean, borrowing money is dirt cheap. But beyond that, to me, it's just absolutely crazy. Matt in Oak Creek. Matt, you're on WTMJ. This is probably like one of the more ridiculous things that I've heard in recent memory, and there's been quite a bit of that, unfortunately. And similar to what you just said, there was a time when you would look up the upcoming events section on the convention center website and there was nothing listed and that was the time during supposed normal times and you couldn't get anybody to go down there and then they were hoping for a while that with the buildup of the pfizer forum area that would help entice people to come down for more of these conventions or they were going to have more conventions and it never panned out either so at a time like this, why would you throw money into something like that when even prior to COVID, you had absolutely nothing going on down there? Well, the, the argument would be, Matt, that the reason there was nothing going on down there is it was too small, that we, we can't compete with some of these other places. So that's why we need to double it, because if you have twice as much space, it'll be more attractive to more places. Now, I don't I don't buy that, but that's at least what the argument was. But that's pre-COVID. Now, I mean, the, the convention business overall, it's just, it's dried up. And they, they say it's going to be back, uh, completely back in two years. Who, what planet are these people operating on? Don't they see what's going on with business nowadays? I think that that whole argument right there has a bunch of holes in it as well, because not every convention you need to have needs to be a blockbuster, blow-the-doors-off event. There's plenty of smaller types of conventions you can have that would be perfectly fine for the space that they have. And it, obviously, nobody's going after those people to try to fill the space. Yeah. No, I th- thanks. For, no, I, I mean, th- these are all these very real world type of things. Um, here's a couple text, Jeff. Expanding the convention center now is like forecasting next week's weather based on commuter, computer models from two weeks ago that were completely wrong about what's happening now. I doubt the convention business, other than premier events like CES in, in Vegas, that's a consumer electronics show in Vegas, will ever return to pre-COVID levels. I, I think so. I mean, look, because here's it. Will, will there still be conventions yeah but but they're going to be done virtually that that's going to be the future for at least the foreseeable future and one of the things that's going to happen is i think a lot of businesses are going to find that you know we can figure out how to do this and you know we we can we don't need to have this operation where we we send thousands and thousands of people to a certain place now there might be some high-end conventions like consumer electronics show or the restaurant show that they have i think they still have that in chicago that, that still attract 
people. But let, let's face it, Milwaukee's not going to be competing for those. Um, Jeff, the future of conventions is not good, especially for business purposes. The only conventions I think might continue to do well are ones like Comic-Con, and they are certainly not coming to a city that the size of Milwaukee. Yeah, you're not going to lure Comic-Con out of San Diego. Um, let's see. Um, Jeff, I, I have to say this. I hate to say this, but I think conventions are a thing of the past. Companies are saving a boatload of money with Zoom. Well, well, that's that's right. I think you know, I think it's going to be a tough sell moving forward because we're we're figuring out how to do these various things. I mean, I, I think the first step is going to be what's going to happen with business travel. And if you look at a lot of projections for the airlines, I mean, they're telling you that they think it's going to be years before business travel you know, comes back to anything close to what it was, as these companies have figured out, hey, number one, we, we can figure out other ways to make it work, and secondly, we can figure out ways to make it work, and we can do it in a more cost-effective sort of fashion. And again, I, I fully understand that th- there's always going to be some degree of business travel. I mean, if you if you're an engineer and you're, you know, working on the design of I I don't know some new building in like I say in Boston, well, and, and your company provides some service that's going to be going into that new building, yeah, I I understand you're probably going to have to go on site to, you know, supervise this and to do the measurements and stuff. So there's always going to be some degree of business travel. I I understand that. But now with with all the technology that's out there and the fact that companies are finding that they can make that technology work and they can do it for a fraction of the cost i think it's just changed the whole dynamic and that's business travel that you know i business travel it seems to me is going to come back before the the convention business um jeff i went to a few conventions downtown and 90 percent of the time they were they only used one floor they have three floors if i'm correct they have plenty of space that's not even being used for the conventions in the first place so why would you even consider building more space when the space they have is not being used and again the, the argument is if we build it they will come the reason that we're you know losing this we're not getting as much as because we don't have as big places um you know i i just i i don't i i just think that that's wishful wishful thinking in the extreme um you know jeff my wife is working on a virtual convention that looks like a regular convention it's just virtual and and yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's going to be the, the thing of the future. You're having a convention, you're going to show up, there's going to be all these presentations. Hey, you just log in. You know, maybe, maybe you have a handful of people, the presenters or something that comes, so it's a central location, but that, that's not going to be it either. Okay, Jeff, you're doing a presentation here. We're going to zoom you in. Everybody's going to be sitting at their computer screens. They're going to be watching this, and that's how it's going to happen. Look, I, I, I just look. If this were not a situation where Wisconsin taxpayers would potentially be on the hook for 300 million bucks, I, I, I don't know that I would necessarily care. But it looks like we're going to have this huge white elephant that's there that you and I may very well end up paying for. And just like the trolley follies that we were talking about last hour, okay, this is a completely predictable debacle, and yet it is blasting ahead with very, very little public analysis. Gee, we want the newest thing possible. Possible. Well, okay, it might turn out to be a $420 million white elephant that taxpayers are going to be on the hook for. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. 
And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. M- Melissa, hang on for a minute. But first, Drew, I have a question for you. Do you, you are a baseball fan. I am a baseball fan. We run into each other at Brewers games from time to time. Do you have any interest at all in, in the baseball playoffs? Uh, every year I like to pick up a, a team that I kind of enjoy to sort of watch, like an underdog kind of thing. And I like the Rays this year. Right. So I have a certain interest in them, but I don't really want to watch because I don't like the Astros. I kind of want to protest them being in the ALCS. Right. So, I mean, but, so it's kind of, eh, I because mean, I, I have to tell you, I, I'm with you. I, I, I would like, I don't like the Astros cause they're, they're cheaters. I like the I like Tampa because Jesus Aguiar, former Brewer, you know the first baseman. He he's on the team. I you know I'd like to see him hit a couple home runs. But as a general, and the National League is what it's the Dodgers, and I don't even know who they're playing. The Dodgers, you don't either. Yeah, I couldn't tell you. But uh, for for the ALCS, I'm, I'm yes and no, but more no because right. of the Astros. I, I, just, I guess it's just it's kind of and, and maybe partly it's because the Brewers aren't in it, and but it's just like I have zero interest, just absolutely zero interest. Just like and maybe it was because the Bucks weren't in it, I had zero interest. And after the Bucks went out, I had no interest at all at the NBA playoffs, and I saw it like on Sports Center last night. It, you know, the Lakers have won. Eh. Uh, just it's just got to get back to normal sometime soon but for me baseball this year was kind of a lost year okay melissa barkley this is the eve tonight tonight is the eve of of something big matter of fact at the wagner household it's taco monday to celebrate (laughs) where i was told it's taco Mm -hmm. monday to celebrate the eve of something really big do you know what this is the eve of well it's the eve of our special programming tomorrow that's not it right 2021 right yeah tune in but no no that 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 that's right you're right but Um, it is is the eve of I believe Vice President Pence is coming to town uh, tomorrow, or will be in the state. Oh tomorrow? no, this is this is much bigger than okay, that. Much, much bigger, bigger than, than that. that. It's the eve of. It's hmm. the eve of. Okay, You're in the back of Melissa's mind, she's saying, "Why do you do this on live radio?" <laughs> you do oh, this all the time to me. <laughs> okay, Gru, do you, do you know what this is the eve of? Why we're having like Taco Monday at the Wagner House to celebrate the eve of this of something big? Uh, I know you just had your anniversary about a, no, a week or two ago, no, so it's no, not no, that. No, I, no, no, I, no, no. Okay, Drew, all right. I thought about that too, but then I remembered. <laughs> no, I was like, no, that was no, 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 no. You know what starts tomorrow? Amazon Prime Day. Oh, yeah, I did know that. Yeah. Amazon Prime. Gru <laughs> is just shaking his head. <laughs> okay, rolling his eyes. Amazon <laughs> Prime, which is Amazon Prime Day, which is now so big that it's got to be two days. It is tomorrow. And it is Wednesday, October 13th, running through Wednesday, October 14th. It starts tomorrow. For people who don't know about this, it's an annual sales event exclusively for people who belong to Amazon, who pay that money to belong to Amazon Prime. Um, And it features two days of special savings on thousands of items all across different product categories. But this is... This is where, you know, people really get the head start on their holiday shopping and stuff. And oh, go ahead. And this year it was pushed back. It was normally supposed to be September think, 27th. Yeah, yeah. A couple of months ago or a month ago. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what kind of steals and deals they have. They only give you a few that are coming out tomorrow, like a TV for $200. It's like 50 inches. And they give you a few other things. But 
Um, I, right. I would suggest the Prime itself, just getting the Prime TV component, the streaming service. That's, I mean, that's worth it in general because mm-hmm. they have a lot of great shows on there. I mm-hmm. love Amazon Prime uh, streaming service. But you know, the, the cool, the interesting thing about this is, so there's all these different products, but but it, it's a sale that reflects how people have changed their their shopping habits. Now, are you are you an internet shopper? I have become one during the pandemic, and I like it. Yeah, I like it a lot. Yeah, see, that's I never I never did it before. Well, and and that's you know we we've been talking about how COVID nineteen and the pandemic has has changed things, and if if brick and mortar retailers didn't have enough of a problem, I, I think people have gotten out of the habit of going to stores, and and I'm not sure a lot of them are coming back. I would agree with that. I think it when it comes to some items, you do want to go and sort of check it uh, out. Maybe in some the store. clothing items yeah. if you want to see if it fits or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, I've ordered books online. I've ordered oh. pants online. I've ordered, and they've all worked out. Shirts online, and if you kind of know what size you are, it, mm-hmm. it works out really well, and it comes straight to your door. And well, yeah, I mean, I love bo- it. you know, books are an interesting point. I, I am an avid reader, so you can sit there. And let's say on, on Saturdays, the Wall Street Journal has a has a book review section, and then they, they review a bunch of the new books that are out. And on Sunday, the New York Times has its, its book review, and sometimes they get reviews. and And so, I will get ideas. Hey, this sounds like For an sure. interesting. So I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm reading it. I this, this sounds like an interesting book. Well, I can either get in my car, I can drive to the bookstore, which may or may not have the book. And and then, you know, I I can, you know, look for it and I can buy it and then I can drive it back. Or while I'm sitting in my easy chair reading the, reading the thing, I can pull off my computer in a couple of keystrokes, I can order it and it's going to come the next day. And generally speaking, it's going to be probably cheaper um, or at least as cheap, and especially if you get Amazon Prime free delivery, as as purchasing it in the store. And I hate myself sometimes for doing it, but I'm a lazy butt, and it's just such an easy way to get the thing. <laughs> you know, it's interesting that you mention this because I love supporting small business and small local bookstores in town. Right. And I called a small local book- bookstore that I normally go to. They did not have the book that I needed and wanted. They were going to order it. It was going to be a week later, two weeks later. I went on Amazon. I found it used for half the price and it came in two days right and i'm like ah like i i hate that but i love it well right it's a love-hate relationship well, well but. It's, it's just so easy I'll, I'll tell you a silly story today we have um we have spectrum cable at our mm-hmm. house and one of our remotes the the one that my wife uses um for the tv in the bedroom so you she uses that mostly one of the buttons isn't working mm-hmm. it, it's just it, it remotes fine it's not working okay so our our choices are now spectrum will replace it for free but what that means is i've got to get in the car i've got to drive to wherever the the nearest spectrum thing is i've got to get out of the car i got to stand in line you know um in the era of covid you know and i've got to you know make that exchange okay I go on Amazon this morning, honest to God, and and they've got the same remote. I mean, the the same (laughs) charter remote. Mm -hmm. It's six bucks delivered to my door tomorrow. So now I I understand it it would be free if I was willing to drive across town, wait in line or whatever. And I'm sitting there and it takes me all about 15 seconds before it occurs to me. Six bucks. Boom. (laughs) And and it's going to be there tomorrow. How spoiled are we? We are spoiled. So spoiled. I always say whenever I complain about something that I'll say like first world problems, because we really are so spoiled that we can order things from our laptop or our phone and it comes the next day. Right. But but amazing. But at the same time, it's just it's kind of changed things. And especially in 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 a 
COVID world where people are even the people that enjoyed shopping. I was never one of those people that enjoy, and I, but I get it. There's people mm-hmm. out there who enjoy walking through the aisles. I was and browsing. one of those people. But but in mm-hmm. a in a COVID world now, I mean, my God, people are uncomfortable going into churches. People are we don't go to sporting events. So I, I mean, all these big brick and mortar retail stores. I don't know what the future of them is going to be. You know, it's interesting because I was at a few brick and mortar stores over the weekend and uh, you, you wear your mask, you go in. I needed a couple of items that I needed to try on. Um, but it's really hard because then you have to wait in line. You, know, you wait in line and the lines are long because they're six feet apart, which is all protocol. But, you know, I could just go online now, order the size that I want, and it's there to n- the next day. So I do understand. I, I, I love supporting local brick and mortar, but... Oh, gosh. It's It's, tough. It's really tough. I I, I want to use that as a launching point. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, tomorrow is Amazon Prime Day. And whether you choose to participate in that or or not, have your shopping habits dramatically changed during – have they dramatically changed during this pandemic? And do you think that they are ever – going to change back i i've i'm i'm a buyer i'm not a shopper i i just i you know so and and there are things okay if you're going to buy a suit and it needs to be tailored i mean you're not going to do that over the internet but for you know all these different purchases it it's just so easy to do i i think i i just don't see this stuff changing and they bring it to your door I just, I don't know what the future of brick and mortar retailing is. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Have you gone, are, are you going more and more digital? I sure am. We discuss in just a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, tomorrow is Amazon Prime Day, which is actually two days <laughs> this year. Um, it, it, has this changed? Have you, especially as a result of the pandemic, found yourself doing more and more online shopping? And what is that going to mean for brick-and-mortar retailers moving forward? My, my answer is it, it's not good news, I, I don't think. Um, Jeff, I have always been an online shopper, specifically Amazon Prime, with so many people ordering online though some of the products i typically buy for my dogs like food are on back order so the virus has pushed me to go shopping at stores in person which in my opinion is much less preferred yet um thankfully i have i have right on the way home i I have two pet stores and they have the they have the stuff that i need for my for sasha so i i i i I'm not saying I haven't ordered stuff online, but it's just as convenient to, to go into the brick and mortar stores because it's on the way. Jeff, I buy every, um, I went to Best Buy on Friday for an internet switch. It was $45. I checked my Amazon app and found a similar one for $20. I left the store, ordered it. Amazon delivered it on Sunday afternoon. I tried to support local, but I'm not going to pay twice as much. Jeff, other than the grocery store, I have not been in a store since March. I have been able to get everything I need and or want online, and frankly, I don't see that changing. There are times I miss going shopping, but not enough to go in the stores. Jeff, I buy everything online now that I can, unless it's too big slash heavy, expensive to ship, or needed immediately and available locally. So it's only the hardware and grocery stores I visit anymore. Now, that's an interesting point because 
We do. We've we've got an Ace Hardware store right down the street from us, and and we regularly patronize that. But but even then, I I had, you know, I needed some specialty light bulbs for the long story. I needed some specialty light bulbs, and you know they they didn't have them at the local hardware store. They had them, you know, on, online. I could go in, I could put in the specifications, and and boom, they they just get delivered. Um, it, it's it's challenging. Um, uh, let's see. Um. Uh, Jeff, great topic. I, f- I fought online shopping until COVID. I also now love it. When we completely change and no longer need retail space, what will real estate become? And since no one needs to drive to a mall, uh, will that fix global warming? Can I keep my muscle car? Uh, those are all sorts of interesting things. Um, Jeff, I'm, I'm, uh, a thrifter. If I can't find it secondhand, I'm bummed. Well, okay. I mean, I, I think you know that's that's the shopping, Jeff. Unless I want something now, I go out and I buy it online, right? But even that, see, the dynamic of that is even if you want something now, with the exception of I guess you you, you drive to the store, you you get it, and then you have it. But in, in most situations, you, you can get it delivered in a day or so. And candidly. When I order some of these things, I actually forget that I've ordered them. I mean, I like I say, okay, well, I I know I'm going to need something, you know, in the next couple of days, but it, it's not like I necessarily need it by five o'clock. And so you you order it, and then I kind of forget about it, and then it's like Christmas because the package shows up a day or two later, and you go, boy, boy, what did I what did I order? How did that um, work, uh, Jeff? I have a niece that works at Uline. They are shipping so many packages. Um, UPS now has to cap them at 50,000 packages a day. Yeah, I think that's it. Jeff, I uh, have a family of four. We have almost one delivery every day. We go for groceries, maybe a pair of shoes once in a while. Everything else is by delivery. Amazon, from socks to bedroom sets, eventually a car. I I can feel it. Well, I don't know about the car, but that's it. Um, (laughs) Don't know about the car, but I mean, this is, it is the wave of of the future. And, uh, you know, one of the texters was making the point about, you know what? What's this going to do for real estate? I that, that that's a huge question, and and it's it has to do with something we talked about a couple of weeks ago. What is what are the future of shopping malls going to be? I mean, there was a time if you grew up like I did around here, you had I think of the shopping malls. You had Southridge. You had had Bayshore when it was an enclosed mall. You had Mayfair. You had Brookfield Square. Um, you had Northridge. You had a couple other Southgate, uh, Ruby Isle, all these different places. And and one by one by one, they've all either gone through massive transformations or they've gone belly up completely. I think you know from a shopping experience, and I, I have I have a very very good friend who's you know in in the development of 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 shopping areas I, I mean i think i mean i think the future is going to be away from these big malls and, and maybe more towards like the the little the, the smaller strip malls where you're going to have the the chain haircut place and, and maybe you're going to have you know an exercise place that's in there and maybe you're going to have the the Jimmy John's sandwich shop or or maybe the Taco Bell you know those types of, of things like like the five or six different stores that are in there but the days of the big mall I just I, I I'm afraid that that they're gone and they're not coming back, and that's why you see things like 
Brookfield Square and Bayshore transitioning away from like the giant retail malls and more towards the mixed use site type of stuff where we've got, you know, at Bayshore, we're going to have the condos and we're going to have the office buildings. And yeah, we're going to have a retail element, but it's there as much to support the office buildings and, you know, the people that are going to live there as it is to be an attraction that's going to bring people from miles around. Completely and totally changing. And I think that's going to be the trend moving forward. Not commenting on whether it's good or bad, just saying I think that that's what it is. But in any event, if you're one of those dedicated online shoppers, just a quick reminder, tonight is Amazon Prime Eve and tomorrow is Amazon Prime Day. This is Jeff Wagner.